Ed, all right. Let's watch these suckers fall off the mountain. Yeah. Okay, ready, Eddie. One, two, three, flappity flap. All right, we're flapping. <laughs> we're flapping it up. Boom. Oh. That makes it. Spring chicken. That's Spring a nice chicken. All right, now. Check it out, check it out. Chicken. One, two, three, flap. Chicka boom. Oh, man gets all the loot. Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we push our luck as we race feathers flying cluckwise up the mountain in Risky Chicken. Next up, it's my druid against his alchemist versus the other guy's necromancer with an essence-filled magic off in Res Arcana. And lastly, we wheel and deal our way to a kind of environmentally safe factory in industrial waste. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello. Ed Povolitis. Hey, guy. And Mike Grenier. I have arrived. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Welcome. Mike. That's right. <laughs> I've been playing too much Valheim lately. <laughs> Our first game up this week is Risky Chicken, designed by Ben Reingold, published by Moraine Road Games, LLC, in 2021. Number of players, 3 to 8, ages 13 and up. Playtime, 30 to 60 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us, what's in the box? On the cover, we encounter a winking chicken sitting atop a mountain, holding a pile of gold aloft in his outstretched wing and looking quite pleased with himself. When you crack this box open, you'll see the Golden Mountain Game Board, 12 chicken trick cards, 17 egg cards, 8 chicken game pieces, a 6-sided die, and 80 gold coins for which the designers added a disclaimer stating they are cardboard. Not real gold. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, oh, and just well. for us, a thank you letter. Yeah, we got a thank you note right. for our review copy. And that's what's in the box. Before we tell you whether this game lays an egg or not, <laughs> Evan, tell us the rules. In Risky Chicken, each player is a chicken who wants to get rich by climbing the Golden Mountain. <laughs> Players take turns being the leader of Climbs Up the Mountain, each turn choosing another player as their sidekick to join them. As players ascend the Golden Mountain, they land on levels with increasing amounts of gold coins, but they also grow likelier to fall off the mountain. At every level, the leader and sidekick must each decide whether to climb, which means continue to press their luck, or chicken out, cash out, and end the turn. Both players can agree that chickening out is a wise decision, and they may agree to play their chicken out cards. However, each player can benefit by breaking their promise and playing climb at the expense of the other. Players must weigh their greed in the short term against the value of their alliances. Each player also receives one chicken trick card, which gives them a special rule-bending ability. There are 12 chicken trick cards, each representing a unique silly chicken character. The winner is the chicken who collects a number of gold coins, which is dependent on the number of players. And it begs the age-old question, why did the chicken climb Gold Mountain? To get rich or die trying. <laughs> and there we have it. We played yeah. this in person, didn't we, Celeste? Yes, we did. We played it in person. Uh, and I think that 
that was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like this box a lot. And the components are pretty neat. And I liked having them and holding them, especially the specialty chickens, right? So each chicken has their own personality mm-hmm. and they're oversized cards. And I thought that was pretty nice. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, each chicken also has their own like special ability that they can use. There's Chicken Stein, the Robin Hood chicken, Spy Chicken. Their special abilities weren't too complicated, but I think some of them were only once per game, which I would have preferred if we could have had them more often. Um, I understand they were probably trying to balance for power, but it's, you know, when you've got kids, for them to only have the opportunity to use it once is pretty rough. <laughs> I love the board. It's What did you guys think of the board? You mean Chicken Mountain or the Golden Chicken Mountain board? <laughs> it, it was both basic but looked really good at the same time. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was far bigger than it needed to be, but I thought for the aesthetics of it being really big, it was actually worth having a giant board for that. Yeah, and you get to move your chicken up, you kind of see the goal of getting up to the top, and you're kind of wondering, why did they pick the value they did? I want to get to the higher value, but it's so risky. Yeah. I mean, it was simple to look at, but kind of a relief. Like, so <laughs> many boards are so busy nowadays. Oh, yeah. That you just open the the game and you're like, oh, it's going to, it's an, it's an hour before I can even play this game because <laughs> I got to learn it. And to counter that to a bit, there we've also played games in which there's far too little going on on the board, <laughs> you know, which there's so much dead space, but you don't have that with this board. It's, it was designed well. And it is fun moving up the chickens that you get to move them up. <laughs> this could have literally been printed on one piece of paper. Okay, so this is a choose your partner game. What did you think about that? Well, you got to choose your partner very carefully because, you know, if your goal is climbing all the way up the mountain and you have a partner you think that might chicken out too early, well, you're not going to choose that person. And also you have to worry about who's going to betray you and uh, keep going up the mountain when you know you should chicken out. The game has an excellent mechanic in this way because it keeps multiple players playing the game every turn. Even if you're not chosen as the chicken sidekick, you still have a vested interest to pay attention <laughs> to see what's going on with the other players. Mm-hmm. So, Mikey, how did you how did you choose your partner? Uh, well, I, as everybody probably knows that's listened to the show by now, I take too many risks. So I was often choosing Celeste as my partner because I know that she's not she is, risk averse. Yeah, she's not very risk averse. <laughs> <laughs> and I always chose Ed because I thought he'd chicken out before me because he'd, he'd be like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, he's thinking about the odds as, a, you know, yeah. as a science guy or a man of math. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's not going to want to play these odds. But he, he. He caught on. <laughs> no, not really caught on. I mean, everybody just pretty much risked it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you knew who your partner was. You're like, yeah, yeah. if I chicken out now, he, he knew that he was going to have to go for yeah. it or lose. I mean, the odds become so drastically against you at a certain point. It makes absolutely no sense to press your luck any further. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's no advantage to chickening out if the other person's going to risk it. Right. Yeah, yeah, so you almost always want to just both keep going. <laughs> and that's why I would always choose the as my sidekick, the player who had the fewest coins. Because I didn't want them getting rich off of, you know, me. <laughs> so if I take them along for the ride, you know, we stay proportional. 
you don't want to bring along the leader because you're just going to help them get farther ahead. It's exactly managed to get money. What was your favorite chicken trick card? Those are the specialty <laughs> chickens. What was your favorite, uh, Mike? Well, I had the uh, the spring chicken, which was awesome because mm. you're skipping the two or better roll on a six sided die. Hard one one thousand, two one thousand, three. Boom! We're Let's climbing. Go. We're climbing. Right. We're climbing. Go hot roll dice, one, hot dice, one. hot dice, hot dice. Five. Woo! So that jumps us up because of my spring chicken. Big chicken, big chicken. Oh, chicken. Oh, too far. No, we, no, did we not. didn't. Spring, spring chicken. chicken. Son, I got a pogo stick. Boom shaka laga laga. Oh, oh, we go to three. Yeah, that's right. That is a great power. And it's an every it's an every one of your turn power, which is yeah. Great. That was probably my favorite. That was of the four that we played. That was probably my favorite one. I played the spy chicken, which <laughs> I liked because it involved when I wasn't playing. When two other players were going up the mountain, I can involve myself in their climb <laughs> because I am able to check to see once to see if. Uh, Who's playing what kind of card at, at which level? Who's chickening out or who's conti- who's <laughs> pressing on? My, my And my expressions, or although I'm not allowed to really directly tell people what's going on, they now have to look at me to sort of be part of their decision-making process. So it involves a third player. I like that. Well, you could literally tell them anything you wanted, though. You could lie. You could tell the truth. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I could could have said really anything. But uh, so I like anytime you involve more players in any turn, I, I, I like that. And that's what the spy chicken does for you. It's, it's cool that it kind of has a uh, sort of prisoner's dilemma angle to it where, you know, you can kind of share a victory if you chicken out together. But, you know, if the other person tries to take the advantage, you get nothing. So you're always worried about what the other player is going to do. Yeah. Which is why, to me, um, what takes that away is when you roll a stick and you get the for the decision on them. And that seems oh, to be yeah. the only mm. time I ever made any money is when <laughs> somebody rolled a six, decided they're not going to risk it, they're going to take the money. And then and it was the only time they would chicken out is when they <laughs> can tell the other person you're chickening out also. I control have chicken, chicken control. Chicken control. She, he can't. I control his chicken. With Junior, Aww. let's keep going, Junior. Hypno <laughs> clucker. Yes, I want to climb. Oh, God. Oh. And, and you maintain chicken control. you maintain control. control. Chicken, chicken control. Well, I remember some negotiating going on at the table, though. <laughs> I do. There was. Especially there was. when you get to those top levels, the 30 and the 50. <laughs> That's a lot of coin. Oh, and yeah. there was a lot of negotiating. Come on, let's chicken out now. We'll get the 30. <laughs> right. Come on, come on. You know, before, obviously there's no guarantees. It's not a binding mm-hmm. contract, but you could do some negotiating with your partner. I, uh, I ended up getting all the way to the top of the mountain, even though you needed a six to actually get to the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you have to do it on that one specific roll. That's so hard. I mean, it's you tough. Know, you have to have only a six. <laughs> pure luck I'm at like, that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of this is pure luck. There's <laughs> not a lot of great decisions. Yeah, but when yeah, you get to that... the top of the mountain, you're, the, 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 the luck overwhelms all the other decisions you get to make. Yeah, but you're still negotiating. You know, you still oh, yeah. have that partner that you're dealing with, which mm-hmm. adds a lot to the game. You know, it, it's a bit like can't stop. Um, but imagine can't stop with a partner. It adds this level of interaction that's perfect for a social event. A social game. Agreed. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury risky chicken. Mike? 
Risky Chicken is a great combination of trust and press your luck. It's extremely simple and fun for all. Dig it up. Ed? While I did have fun playing this silly Pook Your Luck game, it's not something I would personally buy from my collection, so therefore I'll bury it. Evan? Risky Chicken is a fun press your luck game which has a twisted element of cooperation. It's different, and I like different, so therefore dig it up. All right, this is not going to come as a surprise to anyone, but I loved everything about this game. The layout, the humor, the theme, because we love chickens here at Wish Game First. Absolutely. The pacing and the mechanics. I mean, I liked everything about this game. It was a pure joy to play. Bark, bark. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about Risky Chicken, please reach out to us and let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, everybody. We just wanted to take a minute to discuss our new and exciting project at Which Game First. It's called the Board Game Design Conference, hosted by us at Which Game First. As its name implies, this is an online virtual conference for the benefit of game designers, both independent and affiliated. The Board Game Design Conference will include presentations on topics such as promotion, marketing, playtesting, artwork, social media campaigns, and much more. And we have some very special presenters lined up. Oh, yeah. Including names like Martin Wallace, Kurt Covert, Kathleen Mercury. And the keynote speaker is <laughs> Reiner Nizia. Yay! <laughs> this conference is accessible to the public. You do not have to be a game designer to attend. Please just check it out. The conference takes place over the first three weekends in May, starting Friday evening, May 7th. Tickets are on sale at our website, <laughs> BoardGameDesignConference.com. For just $29.95, you get access to every presentation over all three weekends. That's 12 presentations in all, hosted by leading industry professionals. We look forward to seeing you there. Woohoo! Woohoo! Board Game Design Conference. Yeah. Board Game Design Conference. Our next game up this week is Res Arcana, designed by Tom Lehman, published by Sandcastle Games in 2019. Number of players 2 to 4, ages 12 and up, playtime 20 to 60 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. The cover of Res Arcana features five wizards of varying schools of magic from nature to necromancy over the backdrop of a pair of fierce dragons breathing fire and ice. The awesome mysteries revealed within are 40 artifact cards, 10 mage cards, 10 monument cards, 150 essence tokens, 12 five times essence chips, big essence, yeah. Five places of power, which are double-sided cards. A first player token. Four reference cards. Eight magic items. And a summary tile. And that's what's in the box. Before we cast a spell on you with our dulcet review tones, Evan, tell them how it's played. 
Res Arcana is a card-drafting hand management game where players are powerful magic users who craft magical artifacts and uses them to summon dragons and conquer places of power. Players choose a mage, and each mage has unique abilities. Other cards include artifact cards, monument cards, and power cards, which the mages will collect and utilize during gameplay. But synergy is the name of the game. Players are trying to get cards into their tableau that synergize well together. The first player to 10 points triggers the last round of the game, and the mage with the most points becomes the Res Arcana Majora Supremus Ultimus. <laughs> I made that up. The, the Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> so while I was a little light, perhaps on the details of the actual gameplay instructions, because if I went into those details, we'd be here for 25 minutes. <laughs> I'm sure that they will come to light as we talk about them. Yeah. I mean, we can't give you all the rules of every game every time, of course. Right. So we're just giving an overview. Um, we played this one on Board Game Arena. Mm-hmm. What did we think mm-hmm. of the interface? Uh, once again, they did a pretty good job at uh, keeping the rules straight and keeping organized all the your resources. Yeah, resources are flying around the game table during the course of this game, so I'm kind of glad that this appeared on Board Game Arena. I think it actually speeds up the game slightly because you don't have to be fiddling with all the little pieces. Okay, I get two of these, who need to put these in a big pile. Okay, I need two more of those <laughs> and then put them in my pile. And yeah. Oh, I got to pay these to you know, to activate that effect. So it kind of like did all the things that are automatic for you. So what type of game is this, Ed? This is an engine building game. You got to yeah. build a magical engine of supreme power. <laughs> <laughs> I love how over the top we are with this one. it lends itself to it it does the wizards all look pretty over the top on the box cover you know have the nature mage with her wolf and she's pointing off into the distance with this distant look on her face i don't know if i'd call them mages right they're magic users yeah i call them magic users right because there's druids and then there's like potion developers so Lots of different. I mean, they all have access to the same kind of uh, artifacts and spells, so I think they're all mages. They just magic kind of users, name. right? Mages are a certain <laughs> type of magic user, right? Uh, a mage is a specific of the magical art, right? Yeah. Right, like the mage would be the woman with the owl in the book, right? She's a mage. Well, the necromancer's a mage, right? Yeah. Yep. All Agreed. Right. All right. But the alchemist and the druid, no. They Boy, all we use are, magic. We are, we are drawing our nerd line in the sand here, aren't we? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. There is a lot to do in this game. There's a lot going on. The primary thing you're doing is gathering resources so that you can either play artifacts out of your hand or acquire places of powers or acquire monuments. And so each of these actions you're going to gather and it's kind of a little race because that monument that's there, it's available to everybody. So the mm. first person who pays the four gold to acquire that monument gets it. So if you have the eye and the, the pyramid because you want those juicy, juicy victory points, <laughs> you better get it while you can because Evan, mm-hmm. looking at you, might get it before me. I am purchasing the Dragon's Lair. Ah, ah, <laughs> Ed scooped it right out from underneath you. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was looking at I was looking at your resources and I'm like, no, 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 I must do this right now because Ed will have it. Attention to other players' stuff. I have to. Ed's a wily opponent. I had to keep my eye on him. I mean, yeah, for me, I took the path of going the gold route. There's lots of paths to take in this game, but I noticed kind of early on, well, gold can buy you these monuments and monuments can get you the victory. So I just chose my plan A and went with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you only need 10 victory points to win, and some of these monuments are worth like two or three points, so that's not a bad strategy. Yeah, but I don't know. It was hard for me to get into it with the with the amount of victory points. I think maybe they should have made it worth them worth more and just made the winning amount more because mm-hmm. looking at something like the water dragon, you know, mm. and seeing that it's only worth one victory point are these really cool places, <laughs> these epic sounding castles and things. And they're worth like two victory points, one victory yeah. point. It didn't, I don't know, it felt a little off thematically. Celeste, to you're me. talking about the Yu Gi Oh effect. The Yu Gi Oh effect is just put two zeros after everything in the, yeah, in the game. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That is what I'm talking about. I am talking about a thematic choice, uh-huh. right? To make things feel like more. And mm-hmm. I think that was important in a game that talked about such large things. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were scraping by, you know, if they were desperate and they didn't look already like they're all 20th level, then maybe these 1.2 points would have made more sense to me thematically. Yeah. Well, I mean, the win condition is 10 points. So yeah. if you get an no, item with three points, that's 30%. But yeah, the numbers being low doesn't make it as exciting, I guess, is what you Right, it's a thematic issue I'm having. Yeah. And wasn't the first player marker worth one point unto itself? (laughs) Except only when you were holding it, which I did not get. I didn't understand (laughs) that, right? I'm like, oh, I gain a victory point because I took the first player token. It just sits there now on my scoreboard. Mm -hmm. No, it goes away. Yeah, it's a a phantom victory point. Yeah, it's not not a victory point. Not a phantom victory point. If you're sitting at nine and you say, I'm going to pass, get that as my 10th. That's it. You're sitting at the victory condition now. So if you check the end of the round, say, hey, I got 10 victory points. What about you guys? Dun, dun, dun. I won. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it becomes definitely an end game changer. Yes, that's all it is. It's just this like little clutch tiebreaker at the end. <laughs> and I thought it was a victory point. I was very disappointed. Oh. <laughs> you thought you were just going to accumulate one victory and... point every turn by yeah, having it or something? exactly. It's like, all right, it's not a bad strategy. <laughs> pass, pass the victory point. <laughs> uh, oh, that would be an amazing strategy since like right at the beginning of this game, you feel like, wow, I'm never going to earn any victory points. Like I have no resources coming in. Everything costs four times more than what I, I have. It's like it starts off really slow until it isn't slow anymore. That part dragged me into the game because I'm looking at my hand. You only start off with a few artifacts and your deck only had eight. So you only have limited resources to work with. And it's kind of a puzzle to figure out, okay, how am I going to build my engine? I can get this out, and I'm going to get this essence, and maybe if I get this and this other thing, I'll be able to get this other thing out. Aha. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now I got something to work with. Yeah, it's definitely a long-term situation. So let's talk about the symbology a little bit. The it, There was a lot of it, okay? And with games that have symbology, I really need a payoff to learn it. I need to be compensated for my time and effort for learning the game. And usually the compensation I expect is 
the story. I expect the story to grab me to the point where I will learn what I need to learn in order to become part of this world. And there was that level of symbology, just like the kind you'd get in a thick Euro game, like maybe uh, Demacher or a Grand Austria Hotel. But the theme just didn't pull me in. It was hard to actually narrow this down into a story just by the way they created this game because it's kind of all over space and time and adds fantasy to real life stuff because you've got Solomon's Mines, you've got the pyramids, and then you also have this like dragon area or this necromancer's like tunnels or something, you know? So. I think you nailed it, Mike. I think that's it. You know, spe- specificity is the soul of narrative, right? And this lacks the specificity. It kitchen sinks it. <laughs> I did. The symbology helped me out when I'm learning a game. I like seeing symbology because it helped me match up things. If these were just words, I'd have to do a lot of reading. And I think <laughs> symbology is important in order to be able to say, oh, that I recognize this symbol from here. And so oh, I must need to get these yeah. things, and this is what I need to pay for this. And I, when I pay this, I get the benefit. Oh, and yeah. I think it communicates the language very quickly to me. So I think symbology for me gives me like, yeah, you got to learn the symbology a little bit, but the payoff is great in that once you learn the language, it becomes intuitive. Definitely. I mean, symbology is great in a game that saves you a lot of space on a card, right? (laughs) And also eventually it will be easier to understand the game than if you had to keep rereading. And easy to translate, too, because everybody has to learn a new language together if it's all symbols. Yeah. I mean, my issue is not with symbology. My issue is with the symbology. The game has to make it worth it for me to learn the symbology. (laughs) Right. I guess I didn't have that same issue. It felt magical. I thought the art was so rich and detailed. I I, I wanted to meet these characters. These (laughs) places were very lush and vivid and i wanted to go go to these places and yeah. now the chalice of life i wanted to hold that because it gives me mana every turn yeah yeah who is this greco-roman transmuter i need to know her right where right. the owl yeah the art the art is very good they have a little bit of blandness to their faces though that i thought could have had a little more um uh, expression personality yeah expression. a little more yeah. personality the character that i was using was the alchemist who was really good at making gold out of other stuff so I just wanted to gather a bunch of stuff and make gold and make it into gold. But that led me to getting a really big dragon kind of mid game. And <laughs> <laughs> dragons in this game are huge. They're a huge part of the game. They're kind of like a next level thing. Like once you get your engine kind of built a little bit, you're looking to get a big dragon. Every deck has one. And my guy was either super helpful to me every turn or very harmful to everybody else each turn. And it was a really tough choice whether to decide to <laughs> grief my friends or to be greedy. And if you know me, I chose greed. <laughs> <laughs> you're always trying to build a synergy in here. So you're looking at like what synergizes with my strategy the best. And if you're going gold and you want like all the gold you can get because I got to get more gold than Evan getting in order if I want to get the things I want to get. And each player character sort of has a built-in strategy to them, kind of like a a simple quick start like like I said I get gold but somebody else might be really good at changing one element into another element so right. they might want to diversify you know and it's pretty apparent right off the bat what your character is probably going to want to do and the neat twist is the way the artifacts work which is 
at the end of your turn, you have to give up your special tool and pick up another special tool. Mm-hmm. So there's a set, set of special abilities, and they kind of mirror the, the mage's kind of abilities. Like the transmuter has the ability to transmute, like you said. But there's also an item that does that too. So you need to be able to be a little flexible. That'll help you out. What if I want to keep the tool after using it? Got to give it up. But, uh, yeah. oh. <laughs> One yeah. turn only. That's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's it is, and it's it. It felt a lot like you're just scraping by, like it. Yeah. It was incre- incremental success. So you're building your engine, and all of a sudden you have to kind of take a piece out of your engine. It's a little, <laughs> you know, counterintuitive that way. Yeah. Well, there's a point in this game too where, like, like I said early on, you're not feeling like you're going to get anywhere, and all of a sudden it's like power up and. You have to decide whether to show people how much power your engine has because if you fully activate it and start buying points like cards worth victory points, everybody's going to catch on and go, uh-oh, it's time to, to flick the switch and start going <laughs> for it myself. And it goes from like no victory points to five or six victory points in a couple turns. And you're yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> Man, and there are cards there that are worth three. So all of a sudden you get like, oh, two cards. Oh, wow. Halfway there now. Yep. Yeah. Or that got me to nine. Thank you. I'll take the first uh, player marker. Have fun. See you at yeah, the yeah. see you at the final reckoning. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I like Tom Lehman's designs. I mean, one of the other games he made, Race for the Galaxy, also very oh. symbology laden. Also kind of a, like, hey, I'm doing well. I'm gonna ramp up my engine. All of a sudden, bam, game ends. Yeah, Ed and I played that game for hours and hours. We played so much of that game. Ed, there's an expansion to this game, right? Yeah, a new expansion just came out. Lux et Tembre. Lux et Tenebre. <laughs> add more stuff. And, and I, I'm sure if I'm pronouncing that name right, but they, they add more stuff. And I think that's what this game needs now. Now that I've played the game a few times after we did our play, I uh, roped in a few friends to, to play the game again. And uh, this one, it's like, yeah, I got more stuff. Now it needs like more mages, more magic items. This way you can have more tools to play around with building your engine. Mm-hmm. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Res Arcana. Evan? Res Arcana is an engine-building game that works well mechanically. I struggled a bit with the symbology and some of the rules. However, the game has replayability up the yin-yang. <laughs> so it's worth more plays. I will dig it up. Ed? I thoroughly enjoyed taking limited resources and tools to build an efficient magic hoarding machine. <laughs> I'll dig this up to build mighty artifacts and command dragons. <laughs> Mike? Res Arcana gave me so many future strategy options, and unlike the typical Euro game, it let me build an engine and then use it for several turns. <laughs> <laughs> for that reason alone, I have to dig this up. The very tight management of sparse, hard-to-access resources just didn't feel as lush as the art and theme led on. And therefore, I was disappointed in it and will bury the game. Have fun playing Res Arcana, guys. <laughs> if you have thoughts about Res Arcana, come and let us know. We are at Which Game First on social media. Our last game up this week is Industrial Waste, designed by Jurgen Strom. Published by Hans M. Gluck and Rio Grande Games in 2001. Number of players 2 to 4, ages 12 and up. Playtime, 60 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us, what's in the box? 
The cover of Industrial Waste shows the gears of industry grinding away while producing big cities, unhappy workers, and barrels of toxic sludge. When you lift open the hood, you'll see 53 action cards, 12 loan tokens, 54 euro banknotes, 16 cylinders, 4 factories, a game board, 4 company mats, a wooden euro used as a first player marker, and 50 raw materials discs. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we find out if this game is OSHA approved or just <laughs> a pile of toxic sludge, Evan, tell us how it's played. In industrial waste, players are running factories. Players buy materials, complete orders, and invest money in technology improvements to earn victory points, but they need to keep an eye on their waste output. If players have too much waste in their factory dump, they are liable to suffer an environmental disaster and have to pay hefty cleanup costs. Development of technological improvements requiring less waste, fewer resources, and reduced workforce are the key to this game. The game features bidding for resources, hand management, and some drafting cards to gain actions. The first player to grow their factory to a value of 20 triggers the end of the game, and the player with the most points wins. Simple, right? Yeah, simple. <laughs> sure. Oh, yes. Totally. <laughs> well, I missed this game, but you guys played it on Yukata. Yeah, Yukata. We <laughs> haven't seen Yukata in a while. I know. We sparhawked a lot for sure. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yukata are my favorite interface and Evans too. It's mm. uh it's very old fashioned. Yeah, it's very old fashioned. <laughs> you can see our playthrough of Industrial Waste and Res Arcana online um on our YouTube channel. So you can see how Yukata looked for yourself. But guys, what did it look like and play like on Yukata? Ah, uh, can I start? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, go well, for it. Um, it had problems. <laughs> I, yeah. I think the major, I think the main problem that it had, okay, which is unfortunately kind of a major part <laughs> of this game is that you're going to draft your hand of cards that you're going to play for that round. Okay. But the way it, and it's a stack, it's a stack of three cards, but the way it displays lays out in the Yukata format, it was really hard to see exactly what cards you were going to, to, to basically grab or, or, or bid for. I had a hard time seeing exactly what I was trying to get. I just noticed a few, okay, I need this symbol and I need this symbol and I think it's in this clutch of cards, so I'll click here and hope I get it. That's how I felt. Yeah, that kind of made a poor choice in the way to display those piles that seemed like they're upside down to me where you would hold them <laughs> right. normally so that you can actually see the nice little reference symbol at the top. But instead, I kind of had like, tilt my head sideways yeah. to see what the symbols were at the bottom row. And that, that was not <laughs> so yeah. It was it odd. Was really odd. Yeah. It sounds perfectly Yukata. <laughs> oh, you would have yes. hated it, Celeste. You would have <laughs> been so frustrated <laughs> at that point. You want... <laughs> Yeah, it was very spar hockey, to be sure. Yep. <laughs> it, 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 got, it got better. So there, there, we played it as a three-player game. Mm -hmm. So there's four piles to choose from. <laughs> right. But the screen space wasn't um, <laughs> uh -huh. enough to show off for a pile. You kind of had to scroll over in order to see the other pile. Oh, my gosh. And you had yeah. to know to look for it. <laughs> right. I didn't. And I threw away my whole first turn because of it. 
So I'm like, is this right? I'm like, I was thinking, like, I'm not sure this game's working correctly or not. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of unfortunate. All right. So how about the theme? Was it a grabber? It looked dated, but it's functional. It's um, functional. The idea That's of building a factory and trying to, you know, be efficient and, you know, not generate too much weight and make money. I think it was okay. Evan? Uh, it was, I thought thematically it was actually quite good. I felt like I was in charge managing a factory and I had a lot of variables to consider. Pluses, minuses, pushes, and pulls. Uh, when to take loans, when not to take loans. Right, Mike? Ugh, loans. <laughs> so in, in that regard, I f- did feel like I was in control of a factory and trying to really keep it together from <laughs> falling oh, apart on me. Man, oh, taking man. a loan out for an industrial waste factory. I know. I mean, <laughs> oh, that is that is high risk. <laughs> that That's a fun theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, all I did was basically uh, there was one track where you can make your workers less expensive to maintain because there's also taxes on you every turn to maintain your workers. So I I, I went all the way down the track of just making my workers dirt cheap, and you got more victory points for that. I did get more victory points for getting to the end of that track. How'd that, that work out for you? Here, I'm going to play this card. Oh, order not possible for lack of the needed co-workers. You have only four people working for you. You need five in order to do All your right, thing. fine. Here you go. Everybody's... This doesn't help me. It just hurts the two of you. Enjoy. Oh, God, what's that? What happened? Take some waste. Okay. I waste. reduced my waste by one and, get, and basically oh. dumped my waste on your lawns. Well, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, not that helpful since I couldn't get any of the other cards I needed to take the other types of actions I wanted to do. Yeah, but I in the end, workers. I think you only lost by one point, I think. Yeah, it was It, it was, was a close. close game. Because each strategy allowed you to get victory points, mm-hmm. but they give you a different kind of efficiency. Okay, so not only are there loans, there's also yeah. taxes. How does that work? <laughs> yeah, loans and taxes. That was, you know, anybody who's talk to me or see me play a game before knows how much i despise taxes and loans and <laughs> you're, you're part of the reason why i chose correctly here Mike. of course <laughs> it wasn't actually taxes you're paying employees yeah okay it's you still were a tax. but there's also taxes right ed and i can imagine that they must be high taxes for an industrial waste <laughs> uh, factory yeah there's, um you, you call them taxes but are, are fine because what happens if you could gather too much waste that you're not disposing of properly, and an inspector comes by, <laughs> you yeah. have to pay a fine. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, you might call that just, well, it's just a tax for doing business. Or, um, <laughs> yeah, cost of no. doing business. You could try yeah. to avoid the inspector altogether and say, you know what? He didn't see anything. Ha ha ha. Here's a little something for the pension. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's a card you can get that actually lets you like bribe the inspector. <laughs> See, <laughs> it's like real life. <laughs> I know. It's, well, the other, the, but the weird thing about this is that you know the game's called industrial waste. I understand that they're you know thinking about the waste, but you're supposedly making some kind of product, and it's very nebulous as to what product you're producing. A black. You're box. just getting. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, you're producing <laughs> toxic waste, aren't you? Isn't, no, isn't, no, isn't, no. Isn't... That's the byproduct. You produce product. And you produce waste. Oh, this is not a waste management facility. This is something that you're making that produces industrial waste. Oh, right. Great. And in your basement, the waste is growing and growing and growing while you're churning out your black box product. Yeah, like right. you're making product X or something. They don't even really talk about it. Yeah. Yes. Your widget. Like, 
Yeah. You're making widgets, and widgets <laughs> require people to, you know, be able to make the widget, but you also have the byproduct of waste. <laughs> widget That's waste. your byproduct. Yep. There's always a widget byproduct. Inc. <laughs> Welcome to Widget Inc. We make the best widgets <laughs> with the cheapest labor and also produced a ton of waste. <laughs> you need those widgets, though. <laughs> Must have they be, more widgets. They better really need the widgets if you're producing all that waste. Yeah, just you to produce a that. lot of waste. Well, I I went down that efficiency track. While you were trying to make your workers more efficient, you no, know, you didn't need to hire so many people and therefore dwindling your profit. Yeah, I went with the waste management program where whenever I made widgets, I only made one barrel of waste mm-hmm. instead of five mm-hmm. barrels of waste. Right. Whoa, that seems yeah. like a lot less waste. There's three mm-hmm. categories of waste. Mm-hmm. The first 10 are kind of like you're in the safe zone, sort of. Yeah. And then after that, the inspector starts charging you crazy fees. <laughs> <laughs> and for, for my worker efficiency, it wasn't that my I was training my workers to be more efficient. No, I was firing workers and giving more work to the few workers that I had left. That's how the, that worked. Improving the proficiency, the workers were able to produce. A batch of stuff with less workers. Yeah, they worked harder for less money. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be able to fire people. I want to make them work harder. (laughs) Yeah. See, we turned you into a true industrialist, Mikey. Ah, that's right. (laughs) All right. So, Evan, what was your strategy? A little bit of both? Uh, Yeah. So, I was guarding against too much production of waste. And I think I I played too conservative uh, in, in that regard. Um, plus my, I, I had a hard time sort of managing my funds in a certain way. Cause I found myself taking out loans and I can't even quite remember how I got to the <laughs> point got a lot where, where I like had, uh, okay. I have a lot of loans here. What the heck happened? <laughs> At some point I looked and I realized like, I'm so far in the hole here. I don't know if I can get back out. I think I was guarding too much against the waste production was my problem. Well, part of your problem, too, was that there's this bidding process to get the materials to actually make the widgets. Yes. We're going to call them widgets now. And on your turn, you're actually putting out a certain number of them to be to be bought. Yep. And then it goes around the table and you're the last person who gets to bid on them. So you actually might have to buy your own materials that you put up for mm-hmm. auction just so you have something to use. If you need them, but you're paying high price. Yeah, exactly. You pay the higher price at the end, so... But if you're not paying, you're getting money, though. That's the thing. It's like, I put these auction up. And now you're the last position. Mikey offered me four bucks for those, or I can pay five to keep them myself. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of weird. You, you put them up for auction. You either make money off of somebody else buying them, or you put money into the bank for buying your own stuff. Mm. But they can run the price up on you if they bid too high, and you really did need those products you're hoping. Right. Like, oh yeah. my gosh, now I'm overpaying for this stuff. And I think I, I think that happened to me on more than one occasion. Hence <laughs> yeah. my loans. Let's have some raw materials. Raw materials. Raw materials. And and there's no guidelines for about how much you should charge for them, you know. There's there isn't. Yeah. It's just kind of like you could say six <laughs> to start off with. Like, I was trying to go to a one for one as a starting kind of thought of how much they were worth. Ed went all the way up to basically two to one one turn. Yeah, it depends on um where you're at. I had a lot of orders, so for me to make money, I wanted to get raw materials, and I need a lot of them, mm-hmm. and, and complete orders. So I made lots of money, 
but I paid a lot for my worker too, so that's why I just barely stayed ahead of Mikey on the uh, profitability curve. Yeah, and he dodged the inspector one turn by one point. The last action that he took was to move his sludge back by one, and it was just (laughs) enough for him to miss the inspector. (laughs) Well played. Ed uh, Ed managed that waste well. And um, is that because you think, Ed, you were just used to the style of the game? Have you ever played another game like this? I played games like this. I never played this game before, but I played games like this, like the auction mechanic. Mm-hmm. You would recognize it from modern art. Oh, this is right. a very similar mm-hmm. auction mechanic where you go around and then you say, oh, do I want to pay for it myself or am I going to take Celeste's money? She kindly offered 30 bucks for those pieces of mm-hmm. goods or whatever. I'm going to take that money. Thank you very much. Right. And I'll tell you what, for a game that came out in 2001, you know, mm-hmm. be well before the board game renaissance and everything, I found it had many components that we see still in games being produced today. So that was kind of nice to see. It was a, maybe a little ahead of its time in that regard. Yeah, I think one factor I would say, like for Evan, with in a first-time playthrough, because we're all trying to figure out what the right price is for stuff, it's a little unforgiving to fall into that debt hole. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to work, oh, wait a minute, I got two pieces of debt already? I'm just trying to figure out the game. Darn it. <laughs> I know. You start off <laughs> digging a hole for yourself so deep, it's hard to see the way out of it. Yeah, for sure. yeah. But hey, live and learn. <laughs> yeah. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury industrial waste. Mike? The fact that bad luck of the draw could be a nearly completely wasted turn, (laughs) paired with the lack of any potential for an exciting turn, made me feel like this was a slog through the sludge. Bury it. Evan? Industrial waste, while not thematically very appealing, I thought it had some good elements of strategy and decision-making, auctioning, resource, and money management. I I felt like I was in charge of a factory and had to balance a lot of elements. Not unlike running a real business. So I'm going to dig it up. Hmm. Ed? The game feels a bit dated. <laughs> and its layout mechanics, uh, no, <laughs> could be a little better. But I enjoyed the management puzzle. But a lot to try to figure out what to do. So I'm going to dig this up to manage sludge again. <laughs> if you have thoughts about industrial waste, let us know. We are at Which Game First on social media. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. If you want more from us, exclusive episodes. Guys, there's like seven episodes of this show from way back when that are hilarious. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That are just for patrons of the show. If you want access to those episodes and access to our exclusive episodes, Patron-only weekly podcast. Then just go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or a review on any of your favorite podcatchers uh, or anywhere else you're out on social media. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at Which Game First, or we are Which Game First. Happy gaming, explorers. How risky is your chicken? Yeah. Having waste is perfectly fine, as long as you can avoid that inspector. Let's take a trudge through the sludge. <laughs> <laughs>